church. But I want you to think about verse 7 in, in James chapter 4. About the mindset that we should have in worship and prayer. It says in James 4, 7, Therefore submit to God, but resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now no matter where you're worshiping, no matter where you're going to church, no matter where you're at, whether it's in a coffee shop, a house, this building, or any other building, the most important thing we need to see here is that worship involves submitting yourselves to God, coming under His authority, and resisting those things that take the focus off of Him, namely the devil. Because the devil is what keeps us from worship. The devil is what keeps us from fellowship. The devil is what keeps us away from a healthy, vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ. But there's an act of submitting to God in the process. So keep that in mind. And you'll see this verse again in the message. But I want you to think about what Vic was talking about before, what Brother Beecher was talking about. Even in Sunday school, yes, he was talking about sacrifices, but sacrifice is an act of worship. Singing songs is an act of worship and praise. So when you're standing before the praise team and the praise team is singing songs, I'm just going to mention this and just take my opportunity to say it. If you're just standing there, and looking at them like they're a spectacle, and you're not really getting into the service, then you need to think about what you're doing. Because you need to be in a mindset of worship and praise when you come to church. Now, we'll soon discover that not everybody comes to church for that reason. We'll find that out, and we'll look at that, and we see evidence of that all the time. But if you really want to have a deep, vibrant, fulfilling relationship with Jesus Christ, it starts with the sacrifice of praise. Worship. Treating church for what it really is. Not just something on your checklist that needs to be done each week. Because that doesn't mean anything. We talked about that last week. It doesn't mean anything at all if you just make it a thing to do on your checklist. I promise I won't be as graphic this week as I was last week for those who were here. But you got the message, didn't you? Amen. And we'll do the same this week, hopefully. The Lord willing, you'll hear what he has to say. Do we have special music? No. We do not have special music. Okay. Well, that means I need to get started, right? Amen. Well, amen. Then that's what we'll do. Father, we just thank you for this time that you have given us to come before you and hear what you have to say to us. We thank you for the ability to live our lives each day and not just live, but live for you. Help us to look at this time that we spend together in church as a meaningful time, a time where we're developing our relationship with you. And we give you praise and thanks for the lessons that we can learn and continue to learn in this area. And we do it all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. One of our local churches uses the slogan, come as you are, but you won't stay as you are. Now, come as you are, but you won't stay as you are. Many of you have heard this. And by the way, this is not a copyrighted slogan. There are churches all over the United States that will use this as a tagline. But hopefully it gives you the true picture of what God desires 
for a person who visits and joins a church. And what God wants to see is that person have a new life through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen? That's what God wants. God wants anyone who comes into his church to have a healthy, vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, a church building is more than just a gathering place. It's more than just a fellowship hall. It's where a person goes to learn about God. Amen? You come here to learn about God. And even more specifically, the fulfillment of recognizing the need to have Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. In order to get to know Jesus, here's a fact. There must be a change in the person who is seeking him. In order to acknowledge Jesus Christ, there must be a change in the person who's seeking him. Now, what kind of change? The change, ultimately, even after you become a believer in Jesus Christ, is the evidence of Christ in your life. That's a change. And it's a life-changing moment. And it's an ongoing change, even as you remain and continue to be a believer in him. It's an ongoing change. It's an ongoing process. A church experience varies between people in the same way that no two people are the same. No two people are the same. How you come to know Jesus Christ is not the same way I came to know Jesus Christ. And we can say that for everyone in this room. It's a unique experience. Different people do and see different things in ways that suit them. Let's start with that. In other words, different strokes for different folks. Amen? Now that phrase brings to mind that crazy old show, and I won't sing the song, because I think if I tried to sing that song as a theme song for different strokes, my wife would pick up her Bible and throw it right up here. Amen. Because I, I actually did that. I blurted it out yesterday while I was at home, and she just said, stop. Because it's a really corny song anyway. But different strokes for different folks. And that's an expression that goes well back before that show. That's a 60s expression, isn't it? Everybody's different. And everybody's affected in different ways, and they come to know about Christ in different ways. Now, one thing that's very important to point out here, though, is that for many people, change of any kind can be very difficult. Change of any kind can be very difficult. Some people just don't like change. Don't want to deal with change. Don't put anything in front of me that's going to make me change. And let's add an additional statement to that about people and change. Change in following Jesus Christ is especially difficult for people because of their fleshly desires. You think you don't want to change. Well, when you get the gospel of Christ in front of you, you're going to have a hard time with that because of your fleshly desires. And that's true if you don't know Christ. And it's true even after you learn about Christ. Because your fleshly desires will keep you from really changing the way you should be changing. When we come to church, more often than not, we are arriving in the flesh. Amen? Amen. Is that the truth? 
When we come to church, more often than not, we're in the flesh. We show up after going a few rounds with Satan and his band of robbers. And we can be battle weary over all of the scuffling, the stuff going back and forth that takes place week after week. Some of us may not even show up at all. Some of us may say, I'm going to take the week off. I won't even be here today. However, it's helpful when we actually decide to put on our boys and girls pants and tough it out and come to church, even if it's just for a place or a change of scenery. Tough it out. Of course you're going to be in a battle with Satan every week. Satan wants you to, you know, put up your dukes. And he will tussle with you. And he will make you scuffle and scrape. And sometimes you just have to say, you know, after a Saturday night, you know what, I don't feel like going to church. I've been through too much this week. I'm going to slide on in, you know, I'm going to go ahead and do it anyway. Praise God that you did that. Because what you're going to see here is that you can't fight against Satan alone. You need fellowship with other people who have gone through the same scuffling week that you have. And you need that fellowship. You need to be reinforced and bolstered up in the faith. So you put your pants on. You get yourself together. You freshen yourself up and drag yourself on in here. Because it's worth it. It's always a good idea to get back to a place, and hopefully people think that church is a place of rest, a place of rest and comfort. Get back to a place of rest and peace under Jesus Christ. If you can't find peace at home, if you've got drama all over the place, you've got folks giving you a hard time, just slip out the door and go. Go on to church. Amen? Y'all too quiet about that. Because you know what I'm saying is true. Many people live that. You know, many people live where the husband and wife should be there together, but sometimes it's the husband or the wife who show up. Amen? And don't use no sorry excuses when the football season starts. I got to watch the game on TV. Because that's a sorry excuse. Ain't no football game going to get you in front of Jesus Christ. If anything, a football game will take you away from Jesus Christ when you start swearing because the quarterback threw an interception. So you need to make sure you're paying attention to what's important. What's really important, fleshly desires will keep you away from change. Now, some will come to church to not change anything. The only thing they want to change is maybe the scenery that they've been taking part in. They're going to come for all the wrong reasons, all the wrong motives, all the wrong reasons is, is the truth. And they're only looking for self-edification, self-gratification, and attention. Do I need to say that again? They only come here for self-gratification, attention, self-edification. That's why some people come to church. They come as they are. And guess what? They're going to stay as they are. They're not changing. They're coming with their own motivation. Now, how long they stay in that fellowship depends upon the people they fellowship with and whatever relationships they can develop. How long they stay to fulfill their agenda, they'll stay there. But once they find out that the agenda has not been fulfilled, they'll leave. And go somewhere else. 
Understand that not everybody who comes to church is coming for the same reason you're coming to church. Let's not be naive about it. Let's tell the truth for what it is. Be that as it may, Scripture gives us an important reminder that change, if you really want to be here for change, is a requirement for a person who desires to have a strong fellowship with Jesus Christ. It's a requirement. You're going to have to change. You're in the flesh. In order to fellowship with Christ, you've got to change. You've got to come out from under the flesh. You have to. There's no getting around it. So in order to experience a genuine change, a person needs to, number one, acknowledge their sin. Acknowledge their sin. And number two, be honest about it. Acknowledge your sin and be honest about it. That's the first step to change. Acknowledge your sin and be honest about it. You know, you can make things up in your head about, well, I did this and I did that. But now you've got to let the Holy Spirit work in your life and uncover things that may not be coming to mind. When your focus is off of Jesus Christ, you're going to be doing everything that you want to do right now, right here in this church, to not pay attention to what I have to say. And that's a shame. Because that's the flesh working. That's the flesh working. If what you're doing right now is more important than what I'm saying right here, You're in the flesh. And I can't do nothing for you. God's going to have to work with you about that. Amen? Amen. Turn to 1 John chapter 1. Let's take a look at some verses that speak to that. True worship and praise means a dedication, an understanding that who you're worshiping and praising is worth the time to do it. And you don't just worship and praise here, but you do it everywhere. But you have to acknowledge that you're in a place where your flesh is going to take you away from that worship and praise with all kinds of distractions. All kinds of distractions. Maybe it's more important right now for you to be on Facebook. Maybe it's important for you right now to be on Twitter to check the local feed. Maybe it's more important for you to check your text messages and see what somebody is saying about something for a meeting later today. Maybe that's what's most important to you. But it says here in 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10, Now this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light and there is absolutely no darkness in him. If we say... We have fellowship with him, yet we walk in darkness. We are lying and not are not practicing the truth. Don't say you know the Lord and you ain't walking with the Lord. Don't pretend and come into any church or any fellowship and say, I'm doing this for the Lord. I'm doing that for the Lord. Don't lie to God about what you're doing. Because you're not lying to me or anybody else you know. You're lying to the Lord about it. You take your chances when you do that. You take your chances lying to the Lord. He'll just look at you. But verse 7 says, but if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we don't have any sin, 
We make him a liar and his word is not in us. Now, there's no either or in this situation, is there? Either you are in fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ and you sincerely are seeking him or you're not. And if you're not, don't try to fool anybody or play it off saying you are. Because it's not about impressing me or Pastor Gus or anybody else. It's about you and your relationship with the Lord. The truth sets each person free. That's from John 8, 31 and 32. And it applies to new and seasoned believers alike. It applies to all of us. Every one of us. The next thing we need to do, after we are honest about our sin and acknowledging it, is to live a life that avoids sin. Amen? Live a life that avoids sin. And cling to Jesus in order that sin repels from us. That's where the James chapter 4 verse 7 verse comes in. Submit to God, but resist the devil and he will flee from you. Resisting the devil is an action that you have to take. Resisting the devil means the flesh that wants to creep into your life and take you away from him. You have to say, I don't want to do that. I can't do that. I don't want to do it. And when you're doing that, the devil doesn't have any power over you. Amen? The devil does not have any power over you when you truly are resisting him. I'm going to read a series of verses in Romans chapter 6. Please turn to Romans chapter 6. I want you to see, uh, starting with verse 1, but I'm going to give you a series of verses in Romans 6 that talk about this thing about sin. And understand that worship, in order for you to have the best possible worship and praise, means acknowledging sin being honest about it, and now you're saying, I don't want to do this anymore. And Scripture talks about how we can do this and how we can focus on these things. So let's start with verse 1 in Romans 6. We're going to read verses 1 through 4. What should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? In other words, you're challenging yourself If Jesus Christ died on the cross for us, why are we still living in sin when we know what he's done for us? That's what the verse is saying. It's challenging you. How can you keep living in sin knowing what Christ did for you? Or are you unaware that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Verse 4, therefore we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father... So we too may walk in a new way of life. That's the challenge that we have. Walking in a new way of life. You taking that challenge? That's the challenge. Drop down to verse 12. Same chapter. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. Obey what? Its desires. The flesh has complete control over you when you let it do what it has to do. Sin will reign in your body as long as you want the flesh to be there. And do not offer any parts of it to sin as weapons for unrighteousness. But as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. Offer yourselves to God and all the parts of of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. You were made righteous in Jesus Christ. Amen? That's where we get our righteousness from. It's not anything that we're doing. It's because of Christ that we have righteousness. So offer yourself to him. Verse 14, for sin will not rule over you because you are not under law, but under grace. Praise the Lord for that. 
Now drop down to verse 22. Same chapter, Romans 6, 22. But now, since you have been liberated from sin and have become enslaved to God, you have your fruit, which results in sanctification, and the end is eternal life. Praise the Lord. Verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. A lot of us take that verse 23 and just read that one verse, but now you see the context of the whole verse. There is no other result that you can expect from sin except death. That's the only thing you can expect. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we have to change in order to overcome the flesh. There must be a change. A radical change. The danger for a believer in Christ is to fail to allow the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to overcome your fleshly desires. Look, all of us have fleshly desires. Amen? Amen. We're being honest here, right? right? All of us have fleshly desires. All of us want to do things in the flesh because that's what's natural for us. It's natural. We owe that to Adam and Eve. My wife used to make a joke about there are going to be some women who are going to be meeting up with Eve when they all come together in heaven and they're going to want to jack Eve up because of what she did to the women. Especially this whole thing about you know having to go through these cycles and all this other stuff. All these things that women have to deal with. And Eve's going to be in a corner somewhere. And all the women are going to be looking at her and saying, look what you did. Look at what we had to go through. Just kidding. But we want to make sure that we are listening to the Spirit to overcome these fleshly desires. Just going to church in itself is not going to guarantee you anything about remaining in fellowship with Jesus Christ. Amen? Sadly, that's true. Going to church is not going to get you brownie points before God. If you're looking for brownie points from God, you won't have any just by showing up. In fact, you don't want anybody to show up who looks at church that way. You would rather have somebody who sincerely is seeking the Lord if they're going to show up. Amen? Amen. Don't take up space in here because you think you need to be doing it just to get some sort of brownie points. You won't remain in fellowship with Jesus Christ just by showing up. Your flesh is going to see to that. So let's take our slogan and change it and modify it a little bit. Come as you are and keep seeking Jesus Christ in order to keep from going back to where you were. Come as you are, but keep seeking Christ so you don't go back to where you were before. And we don't even want to talk about where we were before. Amen? That could be ugly. It was ugly for me. And I'm sure it was ugly for many of y'all. So we won't even talk about that. We don't want to go back to where we were before. Lost and without hope. Amen? That's not where we want to be. We want to change. Now, in order for a visitor to a church to feel comfortable... The existing church environment, I'm going to use some catchphrases here. The existing church environment must be visitor friendly in order to be seen as second visit friendly or third times the charm friendly. In other words, you have one person show up one week, they get blown away, they'll come back a second week, they get blown away again, they'll come back a third week. Praise the Lord. We got to get past the first week for many of them. So we want to have an environment that is visitor-friendly. Visitor-friendly. So we can do that second visit-friendly. And that third times the charm-friendly. 
and even deem it as I'll invite my friends and family friendly. That's what you want. You want a church where you're saying it's cool for everybody to show up at this place. I'll invite my family and friends. That's the environment. But we have to start by being what? Visitor friendly. Visitor friendly. The key element in a church that is seen as visitor friendly is to allow the come as you are phrase to be applicable for any person who gives the church a test drive. Churches are given test drives. You ever, you know, when you go and buy a car, you know, you usually don't buy the car unless you take it out for a drive. Amen? Those of you who have bought cars, you can relate to this, right? Before you buy a car for 18 bazillion dollars, whatever it's going to cost you, you want to make sure that car runs right in your hands when you're driving it. Because every car has its own specific idiosyncrasies. There are certain things about certain cars that other cars don't do. So when you get on the road, you want to make sure that car is rolling the way you want it to roll. If I'm going to be spending $18,000 on a car, it better be rolling the way I want it to. Amen? Well, most people do that for churches. They take a church for a test drive. Only the test drive lasts for about 45 minutes to an hour. Hopefully not less than that. You know, you know that you're not visitor friendly if somebody shows up for church at 11 o'clock and they're gone by 11.15. That ain't too good. So that's something you have to make sure that we are visitor friendly to make sure that people, when they take a test drive of our church, they want to come back. Say hello to a person. Be friendly to the people. Let them see your style of worship and praise. Let them see you. And let the Holy Spirit work on them. Amen? Churches that are not visitor-friendly will eventually fade to black. Failing to attract visitors creates the additional dilemma for a church that is hypersensitive to numbers and growth. But I'll just say this as a challenge for all of us here. We have a great core of people here in our church. The most important thing we can do, we certainly want to pray for people to come here, but we need to make sure we're praying for each other. That was the whole exercise we've had for the last two weeks. Pray for each other and build each other up in the fellowship. There are still people in this body that need to grow in Christ. Amen? There are people here that need to be healed. There are people here that need to be nurtured and fellowship. We have people right here in our very midst that need to be nurtured and fellowshiped. Yes, we can be visitor friendly, but we need to take care of ourselves too in Christ. Amen? Amen. The foundational strength behind come as you are, you won't stay as you are, is the uncompromising message of God's word. Amen? Amen. Come as you are, stay it, don't stay as you are, means the uncompromising message of God's word is being used and implemented and taught and preached and taught and preached and taught and preached over and over again. The church visitor may or may not be ready to make a change on the first visit, but it's important for the church to have a consistent theme from every message, every message that provides clear direction of God's truth and not from some, uh, let me say it like this, philosophical perspective that tickles the ears. We are not here to be philosophers. We are here to proclaim God's word. This is not philosophy class. Because there are a lot of philosophies out there that have nothing to do with God's word. And they're being brought in churches every week. Let's start with this. Go to John chapter 14. I love to usually use more than one verse. So I usually set it up. Verses 5 and 6. The first thing we need to see is one uncompromising philosophy 
that is going to be brought out when Thomas asks Jesus a question. John chapter 14, verses 5 and 6. In verse 5 it says, Lord, Thomas said, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? You know what? A lot of people who come to church ask that very question. Who is this Jesus Christ? I don't know anything about him. Where is he going? What is he doing? Is he really the way? Well, Jesus answers the question in verse 6. Jesus told him, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, that's a truth. And a lot of people don't want to hear that. A lot of people don't want to hear that. We won't get into all the different philosophies that are out there about different ways to go to have eternal life. But there's this one way. And that needs to be preached to the first time visitor and every message that every, every person ever hears when they come in here. In some way, shape, or form. Next, go to John 16, 13. We have the unique ability and power to have the Holy Spirit indwell upon us, indwell within us, excuse me, to help us to decipher and interpret truth. That's what we have. And one thing we have to understand is that the Spirit is there to help us to overcome the flesh and keep us exposed and guided in truth. It says in verse 13 of John 16, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever, the, whatever he hears. He will also declare to you what is to come. Jesus, in his prayer for his disciples, said, Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. We have to believe that God's word is truth. That's from John 17, 17. He was speaking about his disciples. And finally, let's, go, let's do a couple more verses. Go to 2 Timothy 3. Now, these verses you've all seen before. This is nothing really that you've not been exposed to. But these are very, very important verses that talk about why do you spend time reading the Bible? Why do you spend time getting into the Word? Why do you spend time looking at the Word when you are convicted to do so as opposed to just checking your Facebook status? There's a reason why you do it. Because you're compelled to do it. Because you want to do it. You have a desire to do it. It says in 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17, All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We need to be taught. We need to be rebuked. We need to be corrected. And we need to be trained. But it's all being done because Jesus Christ is providing the training in righteousness. That's a great thing. Amen? First of all, if you're being corrected, he's taking the time to spend with you, to correct you. That means he loves you. And I've hardly even mentioned that word love except early on. But you correct someone you love so that they are trained in the right way to do things the way you would have them to do them in obedience to him. That's a great thing. Amen? Well, don't just stare at me. It's a great thing. He's taking the time with you. So that you are made complete and equipped for every good work. Every good work what? In Jesus Christ. Now, go to Colossians 2.8. There's a couple more verses here. This is going back to this whole thing about just approaching it from your own way of thinking or your own philosophical perspective. There's a warning in Scripture about this. And why is there a warning in Scripture about this? Because not even months after Jesus Christ ascended into heaven, there are folks out there already proclaiming their own gospel, their own teaching. 
Jesus had barely gotten off the ground up into heaven. And people were teaching stuff like this. Is that an exaggeration? No, it's not. There were people that had their own way of thinking, their own philosophies. Colossians warns in verse 8 of chapter 2, Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elemental forces of the world, and not based on Christ. Remember what I said earlier about some folks come to church and they don't have any desire to change? That's Colossians 2.8. That's what you're seeing. That's what goes on every day. People come for the wrong motives, the wrong reasons, and come and drag other people down. For what? Their self-edification. Their self-gratification. One more. 2 Timothy 4, verses 2 through 4. 2 Timothy 4, verses 2 through 4. You need to know God's truth in order to know when someone is pulling your leg or pulling a fast one. You got that? If you're not trained up in the word, you, people can tell you anything. And you'd be jumping around, hooting and hoping and hollering, doing all kinds of stuff, thinking you're doing stuff for the Lord. You ain't doing anything. You don't have any idea what's going on. It's an indictment for many of our churches that barely pull out a Bible when there's a service. And maybe they'll read a verse. And that's about it. And maybe that verse that they read might be the message that they want to bring. And maybe it'll be in context and maybe not. It says in 2 Timothy 4, verses 2 through 4, Proclaim the message, persist in it, whether convenient or not. Now, that is a really important phrase. Persist in it, whether it's convenient or not. Now, that goes directly to your regular habits of reading the Bible and proclaiming the Word. You don't do it just because it's convenient. Sometimes you're going to be inconvenienced. Sometimes it's not going to be the best time for you to get into the Word. Sometimes the preacher is not going to be on, you know, the best as far as his, his, how he feels, his behavior. He might be sick. Sometimes he's going to have to bring a message and he's not feeling well. But you persist in it anyway. Because when you proclaim the message, you have an opportunity now to let that Word hit that person who is in the audience or you're being spoken to by God in some way because the Spirit is working, you don't stop proclaiming the message. No matter what's going on. A lot of folks don't want you to proclaim the message because they don't want to hear it. Guess what? Do it anyway. Do it anyway. Because it's important to you to do that. You don't give up on anybody. If they don't want to listen today, they may not listen today. They may not listen tomorrow. They may not listen a week from now. They may not listen a month from now. They may not listen a year from now. They may not listen ten years from now. Proclaim the message anyway. Persist in it whether convenient or not. Rebuke, correct, and encourage with great patience and teaching. Great Patience and teaching. You don't stop preaching the word. You remain patient in the word. You keep teaching the word until you die. You got that? Until you die. For the time will come when they will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires will multiply teachers for themselves Because they have an itch to hear something new. 
they will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. Now, what you're reading about here in 2 Timothy is certainly taking place today. I don't need to give you a litany of any of this stuff. But I saw an article, interestingly enough, yesterday. All these churches that have opened up to a liberal doctrine allowing for, for example, gays to be part of the fellowship, be part of the membership of these churches, all of them, their attendance is going down. Every single one of them. Two of them, the United Church of Christ and another one I can't remember, they'll be gone by 2015 or 2037 at this rate of decline. So let them do what they're going to do. You keep proclaiming the word because guess what? People are leaving those congregations and going to places where, guess what? They're hearing the word. You keep doing what you're doing. Don't stop doing it. Don't stop proclaiming the truth. Satan in his craftiness has said, yes, let's be inclusive to everyone. Let's allow everyone to come in and everybody thinks they're doing a great thing by doing that. Well, it's contrary to scripture. And so Satan does what? He destroys. So guess what he's doing? He's destroying congregations. But you take care of business. You preach the word. You talk up the word with everyone. And do it with patience. And do it in love. Paul penned a letter to the, first, the Corinthian church about the issue of people in the church going back to where they were before instead of remaining strong in the faith. Paul knew the people of the church of Corinth very well because he was a major planter of the church. He planted the church. He knew them really well. What he had seen when he had left the church in comparison to what he had heard in reports about the church were very distressing. There were reports of fighting in the church, members suing one another, sexual immorality being permitted within the congregation, if not outright acted upon by its own membership. And all of it was based upon one very important issue, pridefulness. Pridefulness. Pride is what causes people to sin and do whatever they want to do. It's their own pride. It's their own flesh that's acting. Pridefulness and arrogance, however, are ungodly and never accomplish anything in the long run for anyone's good. Pridefulness is what really hurts many churches today. It's pridefulness. Pridefulness within the congregation, pridefulness with the pastor... It's what destroys churches. But scripture talks about what pride does to you. Go to Proverbs 16, 18. Proverbs 16, 18. Don't think for a minute that a visitor in a church is not going to pick up on the pride of a person they interact with and make a decision I don't think I want to be here. And sometimes it could be one person that does that. One person who glorifies himself before that person. So it's not just a little thing. This is a big deal. Every person who's in a congregation needs to not allow the flesh to overcome and overtake everything. Verse 18 in Proverbs 16 says, Pride comes before destruction and an arrogant spirit before a fall. We don't know when it's going to happen, but it's going to happen. God's going to deal with that pride and deal with that arrogance. We don't have a timetable on that, but it's going to happen. Here's another verse, Galatians 6, 3. Galatians 6, 3. A lot of folks think they are all that. All that. I'm coming to a fellowship. I'm apostle so-and-so. I'm so-and-so. And you, you, you know you can see pride coming from a person. They don't even have to say a word. Sometimes it's on a LinkedIn page where you'll see somebody put the words, 
here's my name, and they'll have Ph. Well, not PhD. They'll have MBA, or they'll have this. They got to have a title or something next to their name. Something there to show that they're relevant. To show that they are all that. And they probably don't even know they're doing it. But that's what happens. And I checked one brother who had this MBA next to his name. Later on, he changed it and took the MBA off of there. Because you don't need to tell people that you've got an MBA. You don't need to do that stuff. You know what? I don't have to tell anybody that I got a master's degree when I finally get my master's degree. It's not important. The most important thing for me is knowing more about God and learning more about God. That's it. That's true for all of us. Galatians 6, 3 says, For if anyone considers himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. So basically, he's lying to himself all the time, every day, all the time. He thinks he's somebody, but he really isn't anything. He deceives himself all the time. Folks are living that way every day, everybody. You get that? Folks are lying to themselves all the time about how important they are. Because they're in the flesh. In the flesh. Amen. Now, getting back to the Corinthian church, the ongoing discord, and we could be talking about any church. We can talk about the Corinthian church. We can be talking about a lot of churches. It could be churches today that have the same issue. People suing each other. People suing pastors, suing this, suing that, doing that, fighting amongst the congregation. Amen? Everybody wants to rip on the Corinthian church. Go ahead and rip on the Corinthian church. That's a lot of churches today. Same troubles. Sexual immorality within church. That never happens around here, does it? There was a lack of clarity within the church, and as a result, there were people who wound up going back to where they were before they acknowledged Christ. Now, these people are all supposed to be believers in the Corinthian church. They were taught the faith, they knew the faith, but they had regressed. Now, just imagine the effect that this would have on a new believer in Jesus Christ. To be in an environment like that. So let's take the slogan, the tagline, come as you are, and you'll see how to remain where you are, that is, in the flesh, in a church that is not closely following Jesus Christ. Come as you are, and you'll stay exactly where you were. If you're in a church, that is not following, closely following Jesus Christ. We have to get out of loving the things of the world. This is the key element here. Go to 1 John chapter 2. There's a, there's a verse here that we need to see. We need to understand that this flesh that we have been battling with and scuffling with and scraping about, is because we look at the world, we see the world, we look at other people in the world, we see what's happening in the world, and we think that they're just getting over because they're in the flesh. They're in the flesh, and we see that, and there's a temptation to say, I want to be like so-and-so. I want to be like this. I want to live like this. I love that music. I love watching them TV shows. Now, I'm going to mess with y'all a little bit. I'm as like you. I like to see a good train wreck on TV just like anybody else. And we got a lot of train wrecks out there. Cars all over the track. Spilled everything out. Everything's gone. Watch your TV choices, everybody. Because you know as well as I do, first of all, there are very few programs on TV like the one that you watch where you look about God and, 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 and looking at certain programming where the ratings go through the roof. There ain't a whole lot of that on TV. So if you like to watch The Housewives of Atlanta, 
or the housewives of New Jersey, they've got, they've got series upon series spawning off each other. You know why? Train wreck, train wreck, train wreck. The lives of folks who ain't going to do right may even talk spiritual stuff, but ain't doing right. Why are you doing that to yourself? You need to make choices when you are not up in here. When you go home at night, you need to start filtering. And it's not because I'm calling you out saying you're a sinner. No, I'm not doing that. I'm saying to you, if the more you expose yourself to this stuff, we're talking about prolonged exposure. Just like, you know, you can't be exposed to radiation for too long when you get an x-ray or your jaw fall off. A little bit here, a little bit there, but don't expose yourself to it all the time. Make the choices that are going to help you to overcome the flesh. I'm not saying go home and throw your TV out. Because mostly I'll get on the internet anyway and do something else that shouldn't be doing. So it ain't about throwing out the TV either. But it's about making the right choices. In 1 John, you probably, if you've already read the verse, you already know where I'm going with this. 1 John 2 says, verse 15 says, Do not love the world or the things that belong to the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in him. You've got to look at what the verse is saying here and take it literally. For everything that belongs to the world, everything that belongs to the world. Verse 16, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride in one's lifestyle is not from the father, but is from the world. If it's from the world and it ain't from the Father, where is it from? Satan. Satan wants to distract you from having a complete, total fellowship with Jesus Christ with little stupid stuff like the housewives of Beverly Hills. Well, I love Scandal too. Right? I have ne- you know what? I have never watched that program because I know what Scandal is about. But y'all can be in the Nielsen numbers, right? Y'all gonna watch anyway, right? Now, understand something. A lot of what we're doing here is we're just kind of going over this whole thing about worship and why we do what we do and why and where the focus should be. But understand something. You know as well as I do, we're in tough times that are getting tougher. So go to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, and let's look at why we do this stuff. Why we're paying attention to it, and why, whether you're a new believer or a seasoned believer, you must change. You must change your way of thinking, and now come under God's authority and listen to how He is teaching you. And not do this sometime and stuff pretending that everything is okay. It ain't okay. It ain't okay. Look at verse 1 in 2 Timothy 3. But know this. Difficult times will come in the last days. For people will be lovers of self lovers of money, boastful, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers without self-control, brutal without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to the form of godliness but denying its power. Avoid these people. Some of them may be sitting right here. I said it. Some of them might be sitting right here. And it's about telling the truth. And letting people know you've got people around you who have no desire 
to want to learn about Jesus Christ. But you take care of yourself. You take care of your own business. You understand what you need to do. There are difficult times here ahead. If you're not prayed up, if you're not looking at the Word, if you're not studying the Word, you're going to get run over. You will be run over. Because these folks don't care about you. You have a fellowship with Jesus Christ. You grow and nurture that relationship. He cares about you. He wants to see you succeed. He wants you to overcome. He wants you to overcome the flesh. He wants you to have a valuable relationship in the Lord. That's what he wants for you. That's why you come to church. That's why you fellowship with the believers. That's why you bolster each other up. That's why you pray with each other. That's why you encourage each other. That's what you need to be doing. So let's acknowledge some things here. A church is made up of human beings who blow it from time to time. Amen? Amen. We blow it from time to time. Romans 3.23 talks about that. All have sinned and fall short of God's glory. We blow it. Okay, that's who we are. There's no one righteous, not even one. It says in Romans 3.10. That's all right. Let's start with that. We're being honest about who we are, right? We're being honest about what we need from Jesus Christ. The next thing we need to acknowledge is that a church is made up of people who should be less hypocritical, less hypocritical, because you're going to be hypocritical from time to time, but more humble. Amen. Amen. Be humble. Humble yourself before the Lord. Be humble. And there are many verses that talk about that. Matthew 23 I'll let you read that on your own, verses 1 through 12. It talks about the people who are out there showing themselves out to be big and bad, the Pharisees talking to the people, showing themselves up, dressing a certain way, wearing certain robes, making their tassels longer, wearing the phylacteries on their head. That's a little prayer box you put up there and do stuff like that. And showing themselves out to be great. Jesus saying, uh-uh, no, no. That's not what it's about. You don't need to show me how big and bad you are. Because really, you ain't. He says in Matthew 23, verse 8, But as for you, do not be called rabbi, because you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. Do not call anyone on earth your father, because you have one father who is in heaven. And do not be called masters either, because you have one master, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant. And verse 12 says, Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And the final point that we have to acknowledge as people who go to church is that a church is to demonstrate change in the life of believers as, number one, sinners saved by grace and as saints indwelled by the Spirit of God. Don't leave that second part off. We all know we're sinners saved by grace, but it goes further than that. And we say we're saved by grace through faith in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. And this is not anything that we can do. It's God's gift. God is the one who is saving us by grace. But go ahead and turn to John 14 real quick. John 14, verses 15 through 17. Saints indwelled by the Spirit of God. We are saints because God makes us saints. Because of the sanctification, the whole aspect of our lives being changed and transformed. And we need to see that the spirit indwelling within us is really important here. We are changed people because we are allowing the spirit to work in our lives. In John 14, verses 15 through 17, it says, very importantly, if you love me, you will keep my commands. If you love me, you'll keep my commands. And then verse 16 says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the Spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because he, it doesn't see him or know him. But you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20 says, Don't you know your body is a sanctuary of the Holy Spirit? Don't you know that? who is in you, whom you have from God. You are not your own. You were bought for a price. Therefore, 
glorify God in your body. There is strength in unity in the body. There is strength in the unity of the body when everyone is focused on that relationship and enhancing that relationship with Jesus Christ. There's strength in the body. That's why we pray together. That's why we worship together. That's why we sing together. That's why if we're all of one mind, we are a strong body. And forget about the numbers. We could have 50 in here or 5,000. doesn't make any difference. If we're all of one accord, we are mighty in Christ. Amen? Amen? We need to see that. We need to see that. Because God loves working with small numbers. Small numbers of people. He loved using David to to slay Goliath. Remember, David was a boy. And all these other folks were terrified of Goliath. Didn't want any part of him. And God used David to take care of business. Small in stature. So keep that in mind when we talk about church being visitor friendly. But not just visitor friendly now, but nurturing each other. Understanding that we have to tear off that flesh. We come to church in the flesh. We come in the flesh and yet now we have a chance to really go back to where we need to be and that's in this regular fellowship with Jesus Christ. True repentance means a changed life in Christ. True repentance in a person will emulate the fruits of the Holy Spirit in words, deeds, and actions. True repentance means that a person comes as they are, but does not stay where they were. Amen? Amen. Come as you are, but you won't stay as you are. Father, we just thank you for this time that you've given us to impart the truth of your word. And Lord, sometimes that truth will really cut, but sometimes we need that. We need to be reminded of what we need to do to truly have a strong, growing fellowship with you.